by blood, not be laced on. Y'all be chased on, not be placed on. Drunk on Chris, mommy on E. Can't keep a little model hand. So for me, I'm always like trying to look at what I can do on the ground to help facilitate that transfer over to the next platform and trying to ensure that whoever's receiving that patient doesn't have to go five steps backwards in order to keep progress moving. So what are some of the things that guys on the ground could do prior to handing that patient over that's going to make your life that much easier to start working your piece of the pie? Oh, um, because I know there's like a a bunch of stuff. It's like little tiny things, but little tiny things can eat your lunch in your context. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, report early and accurate, you know, nine lines are cool, but they don't tell me anything. They don't tell me anything on the treatment side of the house. They, they're, they do enough to be like, Oh, okay. There's a casualty. Cool. Don't like in a mist mist is great. Or, you know, S mist or whatever you come up with sits D whatever acronym you got that you like to roll with. Don't be afraid to, to tell me what you need or request those supplies. You know, sometimes we just get the nine line and then that's it. And then we might get a simple mist. So I'd say report early and accurate and then give the updates if you can, you know, depending on the environmental pathology. So Thing like words verse and then words mean things. So, you know, take that breath to, to push the right stuff. So instead of being like one unit of blood, well, for me on the receiving end, I go one unit of blood. Is that flowing? Is that being prepped? Is that in the patient already? And then if I get that patient and I see an IV, I see an IO, but there's no blood anywhere to be found. Now I have to guess. Now I have yeah. to go, was it blood? Was that blood infused or was he saying that he needs blood? So, Make sure you're act, making accurate calls and then making those little words mean things. Um, what else? Making sure you pass over the things we can't see. So I'll be completely honest. And the patient comes on the bird. No, I'm going to recheck everything you did. And that's just out of respect for the patient. And that's just, you know, it, it helps you stay in your, your sequence. So if you spend all your time telling me that he had 16 GSWs and you put on six chest seals here and there and you used IO band instead of using a hyphen, then you get into this tangent about that rather than saying, and then you forget to tell me he had two grams of TXA and 200 megs of ketamine. That's a bad day. Or that you actually gave him 10 megs of first said, uh, and that's why he snowed out. And it's not because he's so hypovolemic. That's when things become very important. So making sure you pass over the stuff that we can't see. Uh, I'm going to see everything else like the, the pressure dress, like, you know, the, the, the stump dressing you did to help the guy out or the two by two gauze that you use to clean up your missed IV or whatever. I, I don't, unfortunately I don't care about like, <laughs> I, I want to know what I can't see. And so if you forget that casualty card, um, if you get to do the documentation because you were busy, that's fine. Just make sure you pass up what I can't see. Nice. What about, how about, uh, patient labeling when they're given that report like because that's one thing that when we're, when we're working with guys and doing stuff it, they get kind of wrapped up on that like hey i've got three urgent and then they go into like patient one two three like that is there anything that you've seen work better than something that hasn't um i'm trying to think real quick no i think i, I i'm fine with three you know three urgent patients pay and then just if you can take your time you know yeah. Patient one, you know, missed as follows for patient one, X, Y, and Z. Cool. Patient two, X, Y, and Z. Where things get hairy is when it's like, I got four urgents, you know, two expectants, one priority, and then we get 
one guy who looks who's actually urgent and then two more patients and there was never seven and I, now we only have four and now I'm looking <laughs> and I'm quite, and I'm asking, Hey, where's the other patients? And you go, what do you mean other patients? And it's like, well, you called up that there were six dudes really fucked up and now we only have three. So what happened to the other three? And yeah, that's one. I think those like, at least for me sending up like what, like I'd use the sit report, but like yeah. sending that up, that's a key call as a medic, right? Like yeah, that is where you stop what you're doing, you stand up, you actually take notes, and you make sure what you're pushing on that radio is correct. Because like you said, words have meaning. And that's like that one moment where when you're managing that whole casualty management, that's how you're leading it. Like I'm in control now. Here's my and then just write it down because I can't remember anything. And you're so amped up from doing all the stuff that you have done. That that's like a moment where the medic on the ground can really take a pause, write down what he's going to say, and clearly get it out just so you have a clear picture. And then probably whoever else is receiving that patient behind that could be listening is going to start to get that picture painted. Yeah, mo- most definitely. Um, I, I had... I think I had a really smart guy tell me push to talk, not to think, and take the time before you push to talk to to think. So agreeing 100% with what you just said, make sure before you press that button to relay that that casualty report that you've got it. You got that sequence figured out. You use that SITS acronym. You just go down to your checklist, and then that way, the I can be on the other end, like. You know, other things that guys always try to say, though. You know, they the ambulatory versus litter thing. Um, that's a big yeah that's huge that's a big one man that is a very big one and we're saying you know he's ambulatory because you hobbled him to the aircraft but you didn't tell me to have a litter set up and now that's an extra step i could have had ready and you didn't tell me he had the two tourniquets on and that's why you know he's going to end up on a litter because i'm not going to make him hobble off the aircraft type thing but i understand yeah. why you had you had to carry him like those are things like hey he's Got a guy with you know two tourniquets on his legs. Have a litter set up. You can you don't have to go off this hard fine line vocab. You you know yeah. you can you can break the rules a little bit. Nice, awesome. Um, hey, let's. Uh, do you have anything else on there before we start? I think that's what we evening? got, man. Okay, so let's yeah. start jumping into a little bit of the evidence based medicine stuff, man. So we kind of were holding off. We we obviously with all of our cohorts of JJ, we started jumping into it a little bit and then you know we've kind of hashtagged environmental based medicine and some other stuff uh into that tipping point but i I think what it is 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 i I don't want people to misconstrue what we're saying about ebm because holy crap dude it's become like i mean little air quotes here like a gospel for people to hide behind and i'll be honest when when i first started you know teaching tc3 and stuff like that and in 2002 2003 we were really fortunate that, you know, we we're in Florida and we we're right on the other side of the Courtney Campbell Causeway from Tampa, from McDill. And so, you know, when we first started hitting a lot of this, uh, Captain Butler was the guy who gave the first DC three course for the, the SWAT medics, man, uh, for Tampa Bay counterterrorism response stuff at, uh, in St. Pete at Sepsi. And it was great hearing from the horse's mouth. And then obviously that's, that's looking in that 2003 timeframe. And then, and that was before like anybody even really knew anything about TC3, the committee, it was very emergent at that time. And now it's become this, this big animal and evidence-based medicine is, is what it is stands on. Right. And so when I was teaching that early on in, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, I mean, that was it. You know, that was my argument. Like, dude, it's evidence-based, bro. Like, shut up. 
right? It needs to be evidence-based. It is evidence-based. But my problem was is I didn't even know. I, I took evidence-based as being like, dude, I was a, I was a firefighter. I was on a SWAT team. Like, evidence, man. Like, you're not going to argue with it. It's like cut and dry, right? So yeah. until I looked into what, what actually is the definition of evidence for medicine, and it was like, holy crap, this is not what I thought the definition of evidence was at all. I actually had no idea that this was the definition for for that. And it's not that it's a negative. It's that you have to understand the context. And so, you know, you look on social media and Instagram and, and there's a huge thing. Everybody's hashtagging, you know, EBM and stuff like that, which is which is awesome. Right. But I mean, that's good. If, if you understand the context in which evidence based medicine exists in how i would say it is is there there's stop gates if you if you're going to do a protocol right if you're going to do a treatment modality calcium or whatever but the thing is is everybody's talking about hey you know your your kits that you take um the tourniquets you carry the hemostatics that you carry needs to go through the evidence-based medicine uh evidence-based medicine process right why are you going to carry that when it hasn't been through the ebm process and things like this and so now that we're at that level it's 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 almost when you read some of these, you're like, oh my God, man, like they don't know what they're saying. And it's not, it's not that because I, I was in the same boat. We all were in the same boat at one point. But what's interesting about evidence base is whenever you read anything out of the Institute of Surgical Research or, or anything like this, it's got to reach a certain level of epistemology. So, you know, epistemology meaning like, how do you know you know something? And it's this triangle that I know we've all seen. And at the very top of that triangle, to get the highest rating for your evidence, you're going to be putting into your guideline, whether it's about deciding on what kit you have or what treatment modality or whatever the hell you're doing. When you look at that top portion, it's random control trials, um, RCTs, and, and meta-analysis, right? What's interesting about that is any article you always read will always have a probability, a p-value, right? So, you know, we did this research and the p-value was 0.05. And what's interesting is, is when you deconstruct it and you understand the principles, to be a probability, right, it's got to be on a Gaussian curve, right? That's, that's how you get a probability is a Gaussian curve, right? What is the probability? What's the standard deviation on a Gaussian bell curve, right, created in the 1800s by Gauss? What's funny is to be put into that scale, it's got to be linear. So to do that, you've got to yep. remove every variable except for one. And when you look at that, you know, and I was talking to, you know, Van Stralen, who was blowing my mind the other night when we were doing some of this. But uh, when we're looking at that, it actually, you know, you can date this back to uh, what's the guy's name here? I'm going through this thing if I can find it. Yeah. Fisher in the 20s, man. Fisher. Yeah. And that's it. And so uh, and then, you know, the, Fisher. Yeah, exactly. Fisher in the 1920s, man, who kind of realized how you can how you can do this. And you've really got you linearize a nonlinear thing. And what's funny is like the human body is nonlinear, yep. right? And, and if anybody's questioning that, you know, the only question you have to ask is if I have a system in my body, let's say respiratory system, can my respiratory system influence my cardiac? Can my endocrine system influence my respiratory? Right. And absolutely not. You, <laughs> completely not. They're completely independent. That's you why know, they're specialists. That is why they're specialists. That's a good point, right? Yeah. Uh, but th- they interact, right? So when you're looking at doing this, those are nonlinears, which does not fit on a, on a Gaussian curve, right? So you cannot put something nonlinear into a bell curve and to get onto a bell curve, you've got to eliminate all the variables 
minus one. So if we were looking at hemostatics, right, and checking the efficacy and we're comparing two hemostatics, we're going to take whether, however we do it, the animal role model or whatever we're doing, we're giving the exact same injury. So it's the same person giving the injuries each time. So you take that variation out. And now I'm able just to look at what the efficacy of this compared to this is. And we can look at it in whatever scope, but we can only have one variable. And the variable that is never allowed in anything that's evidence-based at all, no matter how much you want to argue about it, it, it does not meet one iota of, of the qualification is it can't be the environment. Hmm. Because there's too many, oh, too many variables, man. Like, you yep. know, well, how does this hemostatic work when it's hot? How is it when it's hot and humid? How is it when it's cold and dry? How is it when it's cold and wet? How is it, you know, there's so many variables. It's like in, in infinitive, man. Like you can't get all those answers. But evidence-based will tell you, and as I see it, the power of evidence-based is, is it is the first stopgate in the series. Yep. So you may have five or six different stopgates that exist. If it doesn't pass the initial evidence base, you don't get on the field. You don't get on the field, man, right? Because if it doesn't work in a lab with everything controlled but one variable and you're in temp- temperature con- climate controlled lab lights, that is that's that's EBM because by definition you've got to do that. But if you look at it from populations, evidence-based medicine has been hugely successful in things like pediatric um, obesity, uh, certain forms with with cancer, with oncology, where a whole bunch of those variables can be controlled, but your patient population gets all these tests to either be inclusion or exclusion criteria. We got robots all the same. Exactly, right? And if, if you miss that, one of those variables, then that study that you're taking that evidence from is not is not relevant anymore, man. So when you look at, at the, the process that goes into creating it, it's like so you're, much you're already using an removed. example already of that. It's like talking about the wounding patterns based off of the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan. That's it. And like now that you're like, oh, tourniquets are the way to go. And it's like, well, hey, guess what? Like that population, those that like that's completely different than what you're applying to. Exactly. It is evidence based for that situation, yep. but not for what you're doing, what you're trying to apply it to. You change the context yeah. slightly, the whole thing changes, man. Yeah. And so, you know, with that, I just think people need to get a grasp of this because you're like, hey, yeah, I mean, you guys probably remember, you know, we won't say any names, but there was an evidence-based guideline for tactical casualty care in combat situations, whatever committee that is. Um, but, you know, they had, a, uh, they had an antibiotic, man, that became the, the first-line antibiotic, uh, given IV. And then, you know, it made its way right into the evidence-based medicine guidelines, man. And then all of a sudden, dudes are in Iraq, and they're like, holy shit, this will not constitute? It doesn't when it's survive over the environment. Yeah. yeah. When it goes over 100 degrees, it won't constitute. So all of a sudden, they had to pull that and replace it with something. But how did it make its way into an evidence-based guideline? Because they never tested it in the environment. I mean, yep. it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. It works great in hospitals. Let's put it in the guideline. Made it into the guideline. Written now, then guys were deploying, having it issued, and they could not get it to constitute when it was over 100 degrees in Iraq, which makes perfect sense, right? So in the end, evidence base is that first one. The rest of the testing for that shit, for whatever kit you're doing and stuff like that, it's on that unit deploying because you may be deploying to someplace cold. You may deploy, be deploying to someplace really hot and dry, someplace really humid and hot. All those things are going to change the way that your kit operates and works, and really the list can go on and on and on. I think though, at some point though, as like the end user, the medic on the ground, or the medic and the bird, like it's up to you to apply those HRO principles. Like, hey, here's this evidence-based thing that people are saying could work, and then start thinking about what your context is, and like 
then you just start testing it, like, you and do. look at it. But if you don't do that, and, like, if you just take something that's golden and shiny off the shelf and throw it in your bag without testing it, without thinking about how it can fail, you are setting yourself up for fail, like failure. Yeah, my only issue with that, man, is this is, it is on you, and yeah. you should do that. But the problem is, is there's so many units out there Getting pushed. that cannot order yeah. anything that's I not know. in the guidelines. Yeah. So if you look at the soft Kazavak. I have to, I got to remember I was spoiled. Yeah, you're spoiled. <laughs> your unit thing, you can do whatever you, you need to. But if you look at it, there's certain units that will only get things given to them that are written into that guideline. So the soft Kazavak, dude, you couldn't, your only options was what is in the TC3 guidelines. Yeah. And, and so when you look at junctional devices, Ricky, you'll love that is we just so happen to be running a rescue scenario where we're throwing people off the fourth floor uh, oh, uh, of a complex. And one of the injuries that was in there, somebody threw a junctional on. And as soon as we bent the person to put them out the window, the junctional piece went flying off. Like one of the pieces that we're holding, it went flying off and we all looked at each other and like, holy crap. So you know what? Let's go through the other ones that are on this, that are recommended. That is the only ones that guys on the soft Casvac can order. Right. And we had a hundred percent failure of every junctional device they had on there when we were doing it in rescue. And so you might be like, Oh, okay, Sean, that's, that's limited with rescue. No man, for the soft Casvac, half that guidelines are rescue, man. All the high angle stuff, confined space, structural collapse, it's all in the soft Kazabat guidelines. So why aren't you looking at how the medical the environment pieces that's going to be utilized with the rescue stuff that's in the same freaking program for SOCOM? Dude, we had a hundred percent failure rate of everything that, that that was in that evidence-based guidelines thing because and it makes sense. It's not putting it on there, but none of it has ever been tried in the environment. So right, your P value. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can't you can't do that, you know, and when you look at it, you know, what, what we'll do is we'll put, uh, you know, John uh, or I'm sorry, Bruce West uh, thing that goes into good detail on it. And Bruce West is like one of the most recognized and, and academically recognized uh, researchers, disruptors in the army. Uh, he's actually out of, out of North Carolina, man. I think that I can't remember where it is, man. But basically, he's done so much research for the army and he specialized. He is like one of the early adopters of, of nonlinearity. And when you read his book where medicine went wrong, like you just like your jaw drops and he puts it into great, great text where, you know, this is a Gaussian curve. It means nothing in real life. This is a you know inverse power law from Pareto. This is where you live if you're in a in a nonlinear environment. And you know, regardless of the fact, you guys are obviously in a nonlinear environment. But so is every cop, so is every firefighter, and so is every EMS you know guy that, that works on the street. It's a nonlinear environment. And so your p values and all that, you've got to look into what that research says and how it's done, or you are you're you're hiding behind literally a uh, like a, a shell, man. Like it's something that's not going to give you protection when you take it into the real world but it's absolutely necessary at the beginning of the process does that make sense yeah 100 percent it's if it was looked as a a whole systems approach yes (laughs) to use disaster terms right right uh or a whole community approach uh if it was looked as a whole systems approach and then yeah i think if i think it's 100 percent necessary you have to have it for exactly what you said but it being the only doctrine and it being the counter argument to the cessation of development or the stopping of one's idea is, is ridiculous to me. Um, I think if we do exactly what you're, and what you're recommending is, Hey, step one, if we had, if we had a, uh, a list of steps, you know, step one, you know, evidence-based medicine trial, 
Did it pass that, that step? Okay, step two, now now it's the environment. Now let, let's find out where it really matters. And, and then, you know, like end user uh, proficiency, stuff like that. But to have it be the only, to have it be the end all be all, I, I, I don't it, agree with it. It doesn't hold water. You can't, you can't do it if you work no. outside of a laboratory. So if you right. are the military special operations unit and your sole purpose is to respond into specific incidents inside a lab, you might get away with it, but you can't because you still have a threat if you're yeah. responding, right? Yeah. You have a threat yeah. and, and other things that make things dynamic. So it's one of those things where it's really valuable if you put it into the right context. It's like, you know, I hate to use the example, but it's like using Dyneema, man. It's so freaking strong, but know that it doesn't handle it heat. So putting it on a points. pipe mm-hmm. on top of a tower in the summer in Southern Pines is not a good idea. Like that is not what it's made for, you know, um, but it is really strong. And so, you know, knowing the right application and where to input it, I think is, is vital. You know, and the big thing about it is th- there is no, and that's the problem is, you know, you will have people argue with us on this and be like, no, 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 no. But, you know, we've talked to, you know, out of the UK, the Center for uh, Evidence-Based Medicine, you know, we've talked to them about this because I, we wanted to get a good understanding. So that's where a lot of this all originated because they were doing evidence-based medicine way before we started getting into it. And, uh, you know, in the United States, and when you look at those key performance parameters of what it, its capability is and where it's used, it, it's very specific, man. And it is very successful in certain areas, except when you get into a place where you are just filled with unknowns and you have no way to really, I don't want to say diagnose, but no, no way to fill your inclusion or exclusion criteria of people because you don't know what you're getting. You don't know their entire backgrounds. You don't know. There's too many, there's too many variables in there for, for that to roll out. It's got to, there's got to be stuff beyond it. And you know, when you look at it, it, the one variable thing should tell everybody, everything evidence-based medicine, random control trial, everything is done on a Gaussian curve, which means it is a linear system. They've linearized it. It is a normal distribution, and it only is quantitative information. But when you get into what you do, or any of us do, it's quantitative and qualitative. And the qualitative is is such a vital – it's just as important as the quantitative when you do that. And that is 100% nonlinearity, man. Yeah. I think like I'm kind of thinking about the – there's two sides to it, I think. I think that you can't have – a bunch of people recommending products or, or procedures based on evidence medicine solely. And it kind of goes back into like what you were talking about earlier, Ricky. It's like evidence plus consensus equals good idea, Ferry. I think this applies to that situation because the consensus is coming from all the same people right. that are kind of like stroking each other's ego. Like, that's a great idea. Let's, let's yeah. adopt this. But that consensus, if it comes from different varied backgrounds, so in your consensus, you're bringing variabilities into the approval process, I think that helps start going the right direction to like, does this make sense for everybody or, you know, maybe just some people or we'll put a a thing on, I have it sitting up here on the computer and it's such a, it's a really good article and everything that you've talked about with what you're going through with calcium is I think is is great in this, and I think it may have been one of the papers that Van Stralen sent to us, forwarded to us from the American Journal of Medicine. But it's called "From Evidence Based Medicine to Medicine Based Evidence," and yeah. and I think that you know that really spells it out really good because in the end, when you start dealing in nonlinearity, you've got to take you've got to take the word for the guys on the ground on what they're capable of doing, how business is doing, what are the other environmental pathology that's going on, and what are your what are your limitations, what are your friction points in, in doing certain things with what you know, what you don't know, what information you have and you don't have. And going in on this, there's you've gotta you've gotta add some empirical 
stuff into it, some experience bit, into yeah. it, you know, a little bit into it. So there, it's a it's a combination. But right now, just knowing that in EBM, there is no consideration whatsoever for the environment you're working in. So nope. because everything we use, if we look at it just from a kit standpoint, everything we use is made out of a material. So right. now material science goes into it. Is it hydrophilic? So if you're in a humid environment, does it suck up water? Does it decrease the strength? Does it do that? All those things start playing a role on, on the environmental variables. Are you, is it used in rescue? How does that, how does that work? It, it, all these things that you just go down these slopes and there's so many variables that are out there that it is on the end user to do it. But because their shit is dictated yeah. as this is what you can use and what you can't, you know, you can't you, use anything unless it's written in here. That's where I think the big up. problem is. That's yeah. where the big problem no, is. I agree completely. It's like, you can't, yeah, cause then you're stuck. Yeah. This guy said, there's like, all I can order is these three things. And I know that if I ever do I a rescue, I'll never going to failure work. with it. That's yeah. neat. So, so awesome. What's the point of this now? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what evidence was there when we started early on, man, with the origin of the TC3 guidelines? When they made those guidelines, what evidence was there for tourniquet use, man? What evidence was there as hemostatics, hemostatics started coming in? They had to build their evidence, bro. What's, how is that different than what you're doing? Yeah, exa- exactly, man. Um, and we're doing it from a nonlinear approach. Um, the, the linear thing right now is that citrate causes calcium levels to drop. So let's correct the calcium levels and um, reference to citrate linear A plus B equals C or, you know, citrate plus calcium equals no calcium. So, and, and you know, what's interesting is if I change your patient population slightly, it changes and give them a little bit of a medical condition or do this or do that or how long has it been what level is this what that it, it could be you know even judging within minutes of somebody circling the drain it could have a more powerful impact at x amount of time yeah. time variable x versus time variable y yeah, like all those doses and things like those Dude, it's, it's irrelevant like, it's, it's non-linear man you know what i'm saying so for yeah. them to say hey it's good you know what is that perspective they're looking at because you can't predict those things so in the end you know if it can help based on the evaluation and the diagnostic tools that you have available to you then like why wouldn't you so yeah it, you know it's it's just kind of baffling because people assume in hindsight all the time but right. the decision you have to make, you're going to have like three types of information. When you make the decision to do something resuscitative, you've got limited information, no information, and you're searching for it and probing for it, or wrong information. That's a good point, too. So when you make that decision, what are you making your decision on? Dude, you're in a dynamic environment. You know, Whether you're, on the, you're an assault medic on the ground. Uh-oh. We're going to call. Got to take that out. Ben, you, you know, you're an assault medic on the ground. How many other things do you have going on? So what is the information that you're dealing with? And then on top of that, what's the information they're transferring to you if they're doing a handoff, man? So you're having to make decisions and, 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 and information depleted or information we so were talking wrong. about the other day, like yeah. signal noise. Signal noise, man. man exactly. Like, where's the noise and what's the, what's signal, the signal, man? man? It's like at, at some point, everything we're saying is signal, right? It all yeah. means something. It means something. But, but depending yeah. on which route you're working, trying to get back into like homeostasis, like... It, some stuff becomes noise because you guys just can't deal with it for that problem set. Some stuff, you know, so you have to kind of, hey, triage it. Yeah, and, and, and here's the deal, man. You're using the OODA loop. You're using Boyd cycle. Yeah. You're, it's a closed loop system that you're you know, observing, orienting yourself as quickly as possible and intervening. Did that work or not work? Yeah. Yes or no? Boom. Did, you know, if it didn't, then I'm trying this. 
did yep. not, then I'm trying this. Yeah, and it's like, and then at the same time, it's like because you have limited assets, limited supply, limited equipment, like you can only plug a little bit trying to figure out, like, hey, does that make sense? Is it working the right way? Like, what's the environment? How's it shifting and you, as I plug stuff? And, and then, like, and just like what we talked about with David, man, is you are creating your own information in a lot of cases. Yep. Yeah, I, I like and regarding information. Like the other thing, you know, David said it was really awesome. Was like in the field environment. In the field, you know, the environment carries information. It does, and yeah. you have to be able to act on that information that you're getting from the environment too. Like a rescue situation, or so. Uh, EBM thing is a. Uh, <laughs> It's one of those topics. And I do think, I think it has its place, man. I'm not dogging it, but I think that what you have is, is I think it was brilliant. I don't know if it was JJ or it was you, or I think it was you that sent the first one. But if you had EBM like squared, I think you're, then we'd be on the right track, right? You have evidence-based medicine combined with environmental-based medicine. Yeah. Or it might even be three experience and experience. E-E-E. Yeah, like we, we we came with all three in the in the SOMC chat one day. Um, yeah, we could cube that shit, man. Yeah. Cube it, yeah. cube it, EBM cube, man. man. The lethal the, box <laughs> and oh, EBM box. Oh shit! <laughs> um, but yeah, so you take evidence based medicine, then you combine it with the environmental pathology yeah. and the environmental. You know, I guess pathology would cover everything. everything. Um, and then with your experience, experience. Of, of what you can and cannot impact and where you can and cannot impact that in the and, spectrum. And your ability to get through signal and noise and yeah. trying to get down to like what you're actually working on, what the problems that you actually have is and what you can throw at it. Exactly. And I think Bruce West even brings up a great one is signal and noise. A lot of times if you're in a linear position where you're doing like code breaking and stuff from you know World War II. You know, that's fairly linear where you can smooth out the noise to hear the signal better. Like you got like one steady line going across and you got zigzags across it. It's like, exactly. okay, I can isolate that now and like exactly. get rid of the half piece. And now but, on nonlinearity, he brings up a great point is he like, says your signal is mixed in because chaos produces what looks to be noise. But there's actually signal information there. hidden in there that you need to find. And that's why we say, you know, when you're in a nonlinear situation, everything is kind of signal until completely proven otherwise. You or know. you just stick a pin on it and get back to that piece of yeah. noise until you need to address until that you need part. To address it or yeah. you can't address it. Yeah. So, yeah, I th- I, there's a lot more to it, and I think what happens is everybody wants to hit the easy button. Yep. Right. And, you know, hey, if you're going to respond to an active shooter event, here's a cool acronym, threat. This will get you through it. Here's a like, warm zone bag. That is the stupidest shit I've ever partners. heard. That is, uh, yeah, that, I would create an acronym called butt hurt and come up with something better at that point. <laughs> butt snorkeling. Butt snorkeling. <laughs> Snorkeling. We went butt snorkeling quick, man. <laughs> That's That's awesome. What are you talking about? It's over an hour. I've been out of the gutter this whole time. I know, we had to. We had to listen to talks like really smart stuff as we're trying to Wikipedia the shits coming out of Ricky's mouth before. I know. I got a that. picture of all the books open on the thing. I'll put. I'll post those because it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So for the uh, for the for the nonlinear stuff, then um, I, I you know we throw around a lot of words when we do the podcast stuff. What about? Like hitting some of the basic, you know, definitions like what what's complexity or or what's chaos. That's and, a good point. You know, That's like a, you know, we thought you know, like from David and you, Sean. I mean, you know, complexity is a large number of events going on, and it's the large uh, number of things interacting versus if chaos. You capitalize complexity versus not. It means something different academically. Right. Yeah, if you capitalize yeah. exactly, yeah, crazy. You make it a capital C in chaos Just versus com- a lowercase like, C. It's complexity squared. It is. And so, you know what? That's a great point, man. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's an article. On, and I We can I attach that up to the yeah. bottom of the podcast for people. That's a great so got, article. Yeah. So here it is. You know, a lot of guys that uh, you know hear, are hearing nonlinearity for the first time and want to adopt it or start diving into it. Yeah. And so, you know, chaos, what a lot of people think is chaos is the worst. And it's actually chaos has less variables than, than complexity. complexity. Yep. Um, so, you know, and that's kind of the thing is, is 
all chaos is complexity, but not all complexity is chaos. And when you get into it, there's been such a huge movement of using complexity, complex, uh, complex adaptive systems, chaos into medicine that there was a group here, uh, Rickles, Howe, and Scheele, that wrote a really good paper. Um, when was this published? I can't remember when. I put it in there, 2007. And they basically said, in, in kind of a quick synopsis, is it's a glossary, and we'll hang this up. And unfortunately, the one I'm hanging up already has a bunch of shit underlined, so that may or may not help people. But they said that there's so many, so much, so many people in health science literature now that are starting to use the concepts uh, underpinning these these concepts of, of complexity that without knowledge of their background in physics or mathematics, uh, even biology, ecology for that matter, um, they're using them. There's a little confusion and they're putting an error in the way that they're utilizing them. So they wrote a really comprehensive paper that's uh, not that big, man. A, a lot of work sort of cited on it, but it's basically one, two, three, three pages long that basically breaks it down to, to how to use the proper terminology at the right time and what that means for health sciences, which I think, so it kind of, so somebody in physics can hear you talking about it and understand and you're using it correctly. So we'll post that. I think it's, it's a pretty valuable tool, but you know, in the end, if you don't know if you're working in a, in a linear or nonlinear environment, um, all you got to ask yourself is, do I have a couple variables and you don't need many? Um, you can have as little as two, but if I have a couple variables and they interact and I can't tell with certain what that reaction is going to be, you're in a nonlinear environment because it creates a bifurcation. So even the cop that responds to a traffic stop, is that person going to be agreeing with you? Are they going to, are they going to chill and just give you their license or are they going to pull a gun out or are they going to be irritable on drugs? And then depending on how you handle the situation, they can either calm down or they may make a run for it. You just don't know. So that is nonlinear at its basic level of, of two interactions of how I address you is going to depend on how you react. I can either, chill the situation out, I can increase the, the stress involved, uh, or I could take it into a catastrophic level, but I don't know, right? Because I don't know you in, in, when, I, when I pull you over or whatever the case may be. So, you know, nonlinearity can, can be very few variables in there. If David wasn't sick and sounding all <laughs> sick and stuff, he can get into the mathematical uh, stuff on it. But, but yeah, it, it, the thing is, is if you, if you have any question, if you work in any environment that involves healthcare, confrontation with other people, things like you're a nonlinear man. Like that is it. There's very yeah. few things in this world that are actually linear at all. So maybe what we need to do on this is we'll hang that. You know, some of the good ones, the Harvard business review. Yeah. I forgot what that was, what the title that, that article is, mm-hmm. but then also put some of the, like some reading on there that might be good for people that want to actually get into like maybe like three or four books that like, yeah, break it down that you can dive in a little bit. Yeah. And, and the beauty is, is it's not going to give you that, I think what people have a hard time. It's not going to give you the the silver bullet, man. It's going to create ignorance that you just need to read more, like positive positive ignorance. You need need to read more, but in the end, what it does is people have a hard time with it because in the end, you're going to realize there's so much shit that's unpredictable. Yeah. You cannot predict this. Yeah. And and the one thing in complexity and chaos that underscores both of them at the foundation is if you change the initial condition slightly – the whole thing shifts. The whole thing shifts, man. Yeah. And that's with Lorenz, man. Back, you know, if you, if you, there's some good books out there, but really, you know, chaos was 
and chaos theory and butterfly effect and all this other stuff was brought to light in the 60s what was it early, late 60s early 70s from Lorenz at MIT sensitivity looking, to initial conditions that's it right, looking right. at looking at weather patterns and he made a mistake and moved the decil, decimal point just slightly so you can go grab coffee so you can go grab, exactly go grab coffee and all of a sudden what the result was was like crazy different than what was anticipated and that was the emergence but people give him credit on there and it was actually his instructor that that brought it in before then but we can go back a hundred years prior to that and Poincaré is the one who brought it about back in the day because of a three three uh, three body problem where newton could solve the two body problem but when you bring three bodies into it it created too much variance and you could not predict it and you could not use linear machinist theory like newton did who created the six simple machines and all this that is a linear system of physics and realize that once you go beyond three or three bodies and more like that shit you can't make it work man and that's where we are that's that's our normal operating environment man i think the other thing david said that's really awesome was when he said uh, what's true now might not be true later yeah <laughs> sit back and reflect on that and you put that into the you know the assault medic or the pre-hospital medic or even the, the trauma surgeon mindset if you if you really reflect on that quote it's pretty it's pretty damn powerful yeah. um I, it is especially for the whole for the whole debunking the linear mindset man and taking yourself into the non-linear mindset it is and, and the problem with jumping on board with one way of doing it whether that's evidence-based or it's this based or it's that based is it organically and innately causes biases and those yep. biases are going to come out where you're getting like this is what i believe and i believe in this very strongly and every bit of the information that the environment's giving you or the patient's giving you is in contradiction to what you're what you believe is true then you have cognitive dissonance man where you keep trying to slam the circle through the square peg hole man like no matter what like i'm doing the wrong thing i know i am but this has got to work because this is what i believe when in reality man you, like, you just can't hold on tight to shit like that because because you deal with unpredictability in that uncertain ambiguous environment all the time like you hold on to something it's going to burn you down man like you got to be ready to like shift gears and and go into something very quickly that 50 seconds 15 seconds flat that's it man 30 seconds drop everything you want in life man 30 or 15 it's 30 30 seconds 30 seconds i'm pretty sure heat yeah have you seen that with heat with i don't know man and are we we doing a bet now are we doing a bet I think we should bet. All right, we're doing seconds. it. It's, it's on, dude. It's, right, it's for real. It I'm going to say 30 bet? seconds on that movie Heat, man. When was that? That was like 90s, yeah. wasn't it? 90s or 2000s? That would be 90s. willing to drop everything in 15 seconds. Yeah, man. Al Pacino, De Niro. Yep, that's it. Drop everything in 30 seconds. Uh, see, but you just agreed that 15 was right. No, I agreed with the other parts that you said. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our world, Ricky. See, we knew we could drag you into the freaking ADHD thing a little bit here, man. Oh, I mean, of course you can. That's. <laughs> That's my brain every day of the week. <laughs> that's it. Don't get started on a. I mean, you think my brain goes apeshit with the calcium stuff. I mean, you start talking TBI and that whole approach, uh, the ADD goes strong. It's <laughs> <laughs> strong in the dark side, man. It's strong in the dark side. All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate it. And I guess we need to do another one uh, soon on TBI. And then what we need to do is get John, oh, JJ, and, oh, yeah. and Ricky on one. Oh, that'd, that'd be dangerous. Good. That'd be interesting. I like that. Yeah, that'll be funny. They'd be like the yin and the yang, and we could be like the catalyst for... Yeah. We just put in little perturbations and watch how it plays out. Yep. Ooh. I like that. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, Anything else, man, that we're missing on? Because we're bad at staying on task? Uh, No, just uh, if uh, anybody needs to reach out and wants uh, more, you know, hypocalcemia data or... uh, needs 
you know, needs more resources to, to fight the, the good fight or talk to their docs about it, you know, you can uh, email info at somc.org and that is still with the hyphen between the Psalm and C. And uh, that info will get pushed to me or those questions can get pushed to me. And then I have no problem answering those questions or talking directly to uh, medical leadership. I've done it before already for some other guys and it's, it's worked out really well. Uh, and then if our paper gets published, I expect that to be blasted out to everybody. So that'll help everybody out. But Perfect. Yeah, and speaking of SOMSI, like people need to go on to Instagram and onto the website, order those shirts to help fund some of the stuff. And if you could do two seconds real quick on the publication that you guys are putting out and, and people that would be potentially interested in getting it and or putting articles for. Yeah, so uh, we, like I said, our working group did a, a narrative uh, literature review on all the, the information regarding hypocalcemia that's out right now. And like I said, we're under review uh, with the journal, so I, can, I can't say much more about like the details of the paper. But uh, moving forward with other publications, like I said, if there's any guys out there that are looking to get published or they have a case study or they want to do a literature review and they just haven't found a journal that's for them or they want some more guidance, that's my whole job at SOMC and that's my whole job at the Journal of High Threat and Austere Medicine. If your paperwork or idea lines up with high threat or an austere situation, uh, reach out to me and we'll see what we can do and see if we can't pair you up with some other guys uh, to help get you published. And um, yeah, uh, org for uh, more info on that. Awesome. And you guys are kind of linked up uh, with the Aust- Aussies too, right, on that? Yeah. So the Australian Tactical Medical Association is the host of the uh, journal. And the journal is peer-reviewed and, and it has a federal accreditation. So you do get a, a DOI with your paper. And it, it's a it's an intense re- uh, peer-review process just like any other journal. I love it. And, and I think two things real quick is, yeah, I just got hit up by uh, Matt, man, Pepper to speak at their conference, which is, is pretty oh, cool in September. Yeah. I love what they're doing. They're doing some like really good cutting-edge stuff. The second thing I would tell you, too, is I think, and I'm not dogging one side or the other at all on this, but I think the peer-reviewed side, one, is very critical for this type of literature to, to be, if you want to get published, publish it in a peer-reviewed journal. But I think that the peer review for this journal that you're discussing, man, is where most people may want to go because of the relevancy of who your peers are doing it. Um, I've had uh, rescue stuff published with um, with Jay Man uh, Johnson, who uh, was an assault medic, and we wrote one for another publication, right, years ago. And the amount of crap we had to go through because the peer-reviewed because no one understood like they literally sent back a thing like hey this is good but i don't think uh rescue i don't think there's any rescue that's ever been done in socom uh, operationally i don't think it's a requirement <laughs> right so and, and that's that was some, somebody that was like retired and part of the review like retired a long time ago and it was part of their re- peer review portion you're like oh my god like jay just went off man like he sent the letter back he's yeah, like helicopters never crash like people don't fall down fucking yeah into it, it was unbelievable like we're like how can this happen like how can this be our really did, did you say that like i can tell you like 20 damn things that, that we've run across you know in the past couple of years and you know the person doing the peer review just had no clue that's you know that's it's something super important to bring up, and, and you know, it's awesome. Is like my job as the section editor is to is to line up the best editors and peer reviewers that are relevant to your paper. I mean, to name a couple of the guys and gals on the team for the peer review, you got like you have Dr. Claire Park, you have Dr. Dan Pronk. I mean, you got Martin Graves on there. A bunch of there's a bunch of paramedics. There's wilderness medicine specialists on there. There's professors of emergency medicine in both the U.S. and Australia. So. 
I mean, we, that, that journal definitely has exactly what you're talking about is it has the relevant peer reviewers for austere and then high threat situations. So yeah. And that's fair. And I think, you know, from element side, man, like we want to support, um, SOMSI as much as we can. And I know that there's other groups out there too, that, that, uh, that we work with that we love, man, like, uh, Crow medical and those, I mean, those guys are just pushing and helping in any way to, to bring about effective and needed change in that community, man, to like jump the curb and bring out badass shit, man. So, so yeah, man, that's, uh, that's awesome. Super stoked. You're, you're associated yeah, with I got, I got one more thing for the calcium stuff, which is we're not doing this alone. If you, I have to give credit where credit's due. Uh, the pro on field care working group did publish the uh fall of 2018 october guidelines for pro on field care where they did introduce calcium into the protocols so they're also looking at it a uh, huge shot to the pro on field care working group for starting on that as well uh this is a this is a huge team effort okay uh our working group's spearheading a lot of it but you know like like ted redmond says there hasn't been new ideas since 1776 right so we're just we're just trying to be the most aggressive with it no that's awesome and, and i think that that's a critical aspect man i think that's phenomenal that they're doing it. and i think uh i think the a few of us are going to be working on the same thing helping uh ragged edge their events that they're holding before Near uh, future yeah before uh soma i guess mm-hmm. or soma yeah, there, um <laughs> Because I think I you're going to be yeah. out there. We're just we just saw Roger with Ragged Edge Man, and if you guys are are you know doing stuff, and they have some really good prolonged field care exercises, man, in North Carolina, uh, multi day through the mountains. I mean, it's just incredible stuff, and really good dudes, man. Really well connected, and I think you're going to be out there uh, doing a portion, and uh, we'll be out there doing some of the rescue stuff in the mountains too, which will be good. Oh yeah, man, looking forward to that. Yep, kick ass. Ricky, you're a pimp, dude. I appreciate your time, bro. And we'll hit it off next time with, like, TBI and and other disruptors. All right, man. Sounds like a plan. I appreciate it. Peace, pimp. Later, man.